no idea what some of that technology that was just displayed right there is. That is a cassette tape. Uh, for some of you that are younger than that technology, uh, it was awesome until it wasn't awesome. Like when it worked, it was great, but there was actually tape in those plastic housings there that sometimes would get twisted and rolled up and all this kind of stuff. And you really did sometimes have to take your finger until it like rubbed all the skin off of the end of your finger. And you had to take like a pencil or something or your brother's finger or something to get that rewound so that you could actually play that tape. If you drive an awesome car like me, it still has a tape deck in it. Um, <laughs> And really, all that's for is so you can put the cassette adapter to play your iPhone through your awesome sound system that kind of um, has some static all the time. But, uh, you know, music is funny to me. We started a brand new series today called Mixtape, and, and as I was putting this together, and, and we were kind of working together with this at both of our campuses, we realized that, like, even the idea of a mixtape is, is, you know, somewhat foreign to, to some of us. But music in general is funny to me because you have a limited number of notes, right? There's only so many notes. I mean, I know if you look at a keyboard like this, you see, and I, I'm, I'm maybe telling myself because this may not be true, but I think there's 81 keys on this keyboard. 88, thank you. I knew it was something in the 80s. And uh, so you've got 80-something notes here. And, and the thing about it is, like, they look like that's a lot of choices, but really... There's just a few. You're just confined to a few, and then you move up, and it's the same notes in a different scale, right, in a different key You're, or in a different tone. One's higher than lower, right? And the same on a guitar. You've got just a few strings, and you're making different sounds, but really, depending on where you put the capo, that thing that sometimes they drag down the, the guitar frets there, or you put your fingers, you're actually creating the notes of the same kind of notes, you're just creating them a little higher, maybe in a different key, you're creating a different version of that sound. And so you're a little bit limited in the kinds of notes that you can use even to write a song. But what you're not confined in is the words that you use. And I just want to read a few words of some famous songs, some of these that you know, and feel free to sing along if you want to. Your neighbors may not want you to, but feel free to do that. This is a classic worship song here that, that many of us sing, Aruba. Jamaica, ooh, I want to take you to, Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama, Key Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we go, ooh, I want to take you to, Kokomo, we'll get there fast and then we'll take it slow, that's where we want to go, way down in Kokomo. Anybody name the artist? Beach Boys. Beach Boys, thank you. Here's one, this is maybe in the 90s here, don't want to close my eyes, I don't want to fall asleep, because I'd miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. Because even when I dream of you, the sweetest dream would never do. I'd still miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing, especially if the earth is blowing up in a movie, hypothetically. Anybody want to name the artist there? Aerosmith. Here's one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Anybody want to name the artist? Yeah, it's John Lennon. It's the Beatles. It's Imagine, right? We're not confined in music with the words that we might choose. Maybe the notes, maybe the, the melodies there are a little you know, confined in the notes that you can choose, but we are not confined. We are not constrained in the words. And these are just a few. These are not even some of the most famous songs. They're just a few random songs that I, I was able just to grab some lyrics. They just, we know them. 
You know, I think Pastor Sean saw a shirt one time that said, 50% of my brain is music lyrics, song lyrics. And we make fun of Pastor Blake because we think about 90% of his brain is lyrics. Because, I mean, you could be talking about something and you say a word and it brings to his remembrance a song and he can just quote the rest of the song. He can just sing it. It's amazing. You need to do that. Just walk up and give him a random word and see what song pops out. Um, Especially if it's anything Christian contemporary music of the 1990s. That would be something that he can quote for you. It's amazing. But see, what would happen, what would happen is that we would have a favorite song or two or we would have kind of a, an album, a record that some artist had made, but we didn't like all the songs. And so we would create a mixtape, right? We would create a tape. We would kind of get to be the producer. We would create a tape that included just our favorite songs. And so what we would do in present day, let me just kind of bring, you know, the younger generation up. This would be just like you creating a playlist in iTunes. You just kind of take all your favorite songs and dump them into a playlist. And you, it just goes ahead and plays those for you. The idea that you can shuffle through those or add and take away at any time is amazing. Because what we had to do was we had to take tapes and we had to have a boombox that had two tape decks, one that would play and one that would record. And it it took an act of Congress to actually be able to start that tape at the same time that you were pushing like four buttons on this side at the same time to hit record as you're trying to hit play over here. But if you didn't own the tape, maybe, you know, again, hypothetically, your parents didn't allow you to listen to that kind of music, you would have to wait until that song came on the radio. You don't know what the radio is, some of you. The radio was what happened before Spotify and Pandora and iTunes Radio. It it was this amazing thing. You could be driving down the road and this signal from outer space would hit your car and you could tune in to that specific radio station. And it was amazing. But you, you would sometimes have to listen to the radio with your tape deck in front of you waiting on the DJ to say, coming up next is whatever, the Beatles imagine. You go, oh, I love that song. I want to get that on my tape. And so you would wait until they you know, played the commercial and then right about the time they came back from commercial, you would hit those four buttons together to turn it on and catch the song on the radio. But then you always seem to go a little too long and you'd catch the next commercial or whatever. You also had to add really well, which was a stumbling block for many, you know, quasi-producers of their own mixtape because you had a limited amount of space on a tape. And so if you hadn't been adding up how long each song was, then you would start a new song and about halfway through you would run out of tape. That was probably the most frustrating thing ever to happen when you were making a mixtape because you would have started that song and then about two minutes in it would stop and you'd have to go back and try to erase that by playing it recording nothing to get those two minutes to go away and then flip the tape over and start again. And some of you are looking at me like, this is so stupid. Why would you do that? It's the only thing we had. It's all we could do. Now, what was great is if you made a mixtape and you gave it away. Because what that said to the other person is I value you so much that I've spent literally hours collecting the music that declares how I feel about you. I mean, these are songs that when I hear them, I think about you. And so I've recorded them on a tape just for you. And so you would give that mixtape away. And, and you, would, you would give it to somebody with the hopes that they would realize how much effort had gone into it and how much you cared about them and how that was expressed through the music that you had recorded for them. I mean, it was, 
something pretty special. If you ever received a mixtape, I mean, it's almost like an engagement ring, really. <laughs> because it's like, I am committed to you, right? Now, mixtapes are funny. Now, now when we think back on them, you know, we realize how crazy that was. And now technology just helps us to see that it was a lot of effort, and it didn't really have to be. I, I remember even when we moved into kind of the CD age, I remember like making my own CDs of just the, you know, the songs that I liked. And, I, and when we first got married, Corey you know, was kind of flipping through my CDs. We have a, a, a little bit of a different taste in music. And, and she was flipping through my CDs, and she was like, what is this one? I was like, oh, that's all my favorite songs that I play before I play softball. What? I mean, that pumps me up. I got to play that CD before I play you know, flag football or I had all these different things that I would put together for whatever the moment called for. And so today, as we start this new series called Mixtape, what we are doing really is we are looking to a, a book in the Bible that you, you've probably read it. No doubt it's been quoted in services that you may have been a part of if you've been a part of services like this very often. This book of the Bible called Psalms. It's made up of 150 different, what we would call, in other books of the Bible, we would call them chapters, but each one of them is kind of an individual expression. And and the Psalms are uh, written by, over a course of about a thousand years, by at least eight different authors. A lot of times we think Psalms is just David, but David wrote about 73, for sure 73 of the 150, so almost half. The second largest group of Psalms are written by unknown authors. We don't know. Some of them may have, been, may have been David. They may have been Ezra, some of the other prophets. They may have been Solomon. They may have been some of the other people that wrote some of these psalms, but we just don't know. And, 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 and theologians and people that have kind of done this, they, they just haven't really nailed down who wrote those. But there are at least eight authors that we know of. And sometimes when you're reading through psalms, you come to the beginning of a psalm, and it will say who wrote it. You know, this is a psalm of David. That's the one that's most often shown there. This is a psalm of David. Sometimes it may even give other instructions or other historical context. It will say, you know, this is a psalm of David from, you know, such and such, or this is meant to be sung to the tune of. Because really what psalms were, some theologians called it the Hebrew hymnal. It was the the passages, the poetry, the lyrics even, that the Hebrews would use in the tabernacle, in their corporate times of worship, some of them. And there's a lot of study going going on right now where um, scientists and theologians and archaeologists are trying to take the Psalms that they read in Scripture and they're trying to go back and recreate some of the cultural context and some of the things that were happening and what we know historically. And they're trying to figure out what some of those melodies to those psalms are so that they can actually sing them or recite them or recant them in the tones, the melodies, or how it would have sounded in the tabernacle for the Hebrew people. But what we do know is that in a lot of circumstances, a lot of the psalms that we read really are these worship songs. Now, not all of them are cheerful, and if you've ever read very much in Psalms, you know that not all of them have that same cheerful tone. Maybe we just celebrated that forever you are lifted high. They may include that, but the the idea of the book of Psalms, if you translate it correctly, it's not even really called Psalms. It's actually called uh, songs of praise or passages of praise. 
And so this is the idea that almost every one of the 150, even if it's working through the ebb and flow of the emotions that the, the author there, the writer, would have been experiencing, at some point, they work their way back around to the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God to deliver them, even in the midst of the things that they're facing. And from the time of the writers of Psalms all the way even to now, people have been really wrestling with where these Psalms come from, what was happening, what's the context, and how can I connect to what's going on? There's a lot of things that famous theologians and Bible scholars have said. Somebody talked about the idea that while Scripture, most of it speaks to us, if you're reading through Scripture, it's speaking to you, the Psalms actually speak for us. Think about that, because we're going we're gonna to talk about that today and over the next three weeks, but what the Psalms really do is it's not just something that speaks to you, though it definitely does. It's also something that speaks for us. It's, it's been kind of declared as something that is a, a prayer or a cry of our heart back to God. The great reformer Martin Luther said that the book of Psalms is even the little Bible. If you only had the Psalms, you would even understand the full narrative of the Bible because the entire scripture is there contained within its words. He goes on to say that the book of Psalms is the favorite of all the saints because every man on every occasion can find in it Psalms which fit his needs, which he feels is, is appropriate for all of us if nothing else, just to find something that speaks to us, that God knows the situation that we're facing. The Psalms are the inspired responses of human hearts to God's revelation of himself in the law, the history, and the prophecy of Scripture. Law, history, and prophecy really make up the rest of the Old Testament. Law, history, and prophecy. And then right among that is the Psalms. And the Psalms really help for us to respond to all of the things that God is revealing about himself in the Old Testament. The Psalms are the largest book in the Old Testament, and it is the most quoted book in the New Testament. When you're reading through the New Testament, there are more passages from Psalms that are quoted than any other book, which before I really started studying this, I actually thought maybe, maybe the, some of the prophets, you know, they, they, they quoted a lot Isaiah, they quoted a lot Jeremiah, but when you really look at all of the quotations in the New Testament referring to something from the Old Testament, Psalms is the one that is quoted most often. And lastly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a martyred Christian leader, his, his influence on the theology and the, the, the beliefs that a lot of Christian faith is founded on or, or really shaped by, he said that the Psalms are a prayer book, and they contain the words that worshiping people address to God. If we prayed out of the poverty of our heart, he says, we might pray for only what we hoped for. But God wants our prayers to be much fuller, encompassing not only our own needs, but the life of the whole community of God's people. What the Psalms really do is they give lyrics to the melodies of life. They say to us, we're all experiencing some common things. My favorite scripture in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And the very first part of that passage says, there's no temptation that seizes you except that which is common to man. It doesn't mean that every person in this room is facing the same temptations, but it does mean that the temptations that you're facing, somebody else in the room probably is, because the temptations that you face are common to man. And what Bonhoeffer is saying here is if you just prayed out of the poverty of your own heart, if you and I just prayed out of our own desires and our own feelings and the, only the things that we were facing, we probably wouldn't fully grasp the community aspect of the Christian faith. I mean, even the prayer that we prayed just a few minutes ago for the persecuted church. 
It was trying to help us connect to the community of faith around the world. And the Psalms really help us to do that. Because what the Psalms do is they give us words that Christians for thousands of years now have been singing, praying, and reading to help us fully understand who God is and how God responds to those of us who are trying to follow after him and yet live in a fallen world. And if you just read the Psalms by themselves, you just start at Psalms 1 and you run through Psalms 150, you're going to see some incredible things. You're going to see some recurring themes. But I think it's important for us not to just proof text it, which means just to take a scripture that kind of matches our need and go, yep, that's what I believe about God or that's what God does in every single case. But I think it's important for us as best we can to try to get the context of what's happening. So let me, let me give you an example. My favorite person in scripture unless I'm supposed to say Jesus, is King David. Other than Jesus, it's King David. I love King David from the Old Testament. I I love his story. I connect with a lot of his flawed, you know, trying to kind of be the man. And there's there's so much about him. He was overlooked. And, man, God chose to use him. And he he was too small. And nobody thought he could do it. And Saul didn't think he was, you know, had the right armor. I mean, there's incredible things. He became the king. And people doubted him. And then people sang songs about him. And there's this incredible thing. But... King David made a humongous mistake one day. Many of us know that mistake. He was up on the roof, and Scripture actually tells us it was the time when kings go out to war, so he should have been somewhere else. Just a little aside that I like to talk about most of the time. It's true in my life. I most often get in trouble when I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Just throwing that out there. That one's free. That's not even included in today's notes. So King David, at a time when kings go out to war, should have been at war, and yet he found himself on the top of a roof, And he looks down to the roof next to him, and he sees Bathsheba, this beautiful woman. She's bathing. He sees her. He calls for her to be brought to the palace, and she comes to the palace, and he engages in a relationship with her, and, you know, turns out she's married, and her husband, Uriah, is actually out to war with all of the king's men where David should be. And so David, when he gets word that Bathsheba is now pregnant says, okay, how can I cover my sin up? How can I cover up the thing that I should not have done? I got it. I'll call for Uriah to come back, and he'll be so excited about seeing his wife. He, you know, will have a relationship with her as well, and that'll cover it up. We'll be good to go. He brings Uriah back, and Uriah, this incredible fighter, loyal to the king, says, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to lay at the door of the king because my brothers are out fighting on our behalf. The king gets word and he gets upset. And so he says, no, 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 listen, you go, go and you go and be with your wife. And so he actually gets him drunk the next night and tries to send him home. But Uriah stays and lays in front of the king's door. And so David, trying to cover up his sin, sends a note back with Uriah when he goes back to the army. And he says to the commanding officer, he says, listen, when Uriah gets back, I want you to put him at the very front of the army where the fighting is the worst And right when it gets really, really, really bad, I want you to pull everybody back and leave Uriah there. And that happens, and Uriah dies. So word comes back, and Bathsheba goes through the period of mourning for her husband who has been killed. And David, thinking that nobody really knows, even though that's impossible because the guards had helped him get Bathsheba to the grounds, and the the commanding officer knew what he had declared for Uriah, and other people in the army would have had to know when it says, hey, you know, you guys pull back and leave Uriah there. Other people had to know, but David thinks he's gotten away with it, and so he brings Bathsheba to the palace to be his wife. And then the prophet Nathan shows up one day, and he says to King David this incredible fictional story. 
He says, hey, there's two men, and there's a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man has everything he could ever want, but he goes and takes the lamb of the poor man, the only possession, the most prized possession of the poor man. He takes this lamb and he brings it to his house and he actually uses it for his own needs and he takes this possession away from the poor man and he he does whatever he wants. And David gets so angry listening to that story that he kind of rises up with this righteousness and he says, who is this man? I will punish him. I will make right. Who is this man? And Nathan points his finger in the face of King David. I mean, the prophet had to kind of feel like he was definitely sent by God because you don't do this to the king. And he says to King David, he says, that man is you. And he says one of the, one of the I don't know, saddest verses in all of Scripture. He says, God has given you everything that you have need of. And if even that weren't enough, he would have given you more. David immediately realizes he's talking about Bathsheba, he's talking about Uriah, and he repents of his sins. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he, the child, became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child. David pleaded with God for the child. Now, if you just read that story, there's even more that's unbelievable. It's one of the most incredible narratives in all of Scripture to me. But if you flip to Psalm 51, this is what Psalm 51 verses 1 through 4 says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Psalm 51 was written by King David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. If you read Psalm 51 by itself, it's a powerful psalm. You could put music to that and write an incredible song, and you could declare that God is right when he judges us. He's justified in his actions because we have sinned And we're asking for God's mercy upon us. And each of us takes with that psalm our own context, our own story, because we know the transgressions that we have committed against God. But now we also know that David wrote that out of a heart that had just been confronted with the sin, the awful sin that he had committed against Bathsheba, against Uriah. And according to him here, really, truly only against God because of what Nathan had said. God had given him everything, and if that wasn't enough, God would have given him more, and yet David went looking elsewhere for something to satisfy. There's context to every single one of these psalms. We don't have that clear a picture for every single one of them, but we do have a clear picture for most of the psalms that we encounter. We we have this idea of what is 
what's going on in that setting? What's going on in that context? How are we supposed to understand the narrative, the things that are taking place? But here's what I know. Even if we don't have that context, even if we don't have the full biblical context of what's happening, we have our context. And if what the theologians and the biblical scholars have said is true, then these psalms speak to the things that are going on in our life, no matter what's happening to us. Let me give you a few examples here. Maybe you too need some lyric to really declare for you the forgiveness that you seek or to really lean into that forgiving nature of God. Then maybe you would read Psalm 32, verse 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I think I could preach on that psalm alone for a couple of weeks. Because these are the words that we use to describe the nature of God. He, he's declaring here, he says, listen, I kept silent, but there was something inside of me that knew even keeping silent wasn't covering up my sin. My bones groaned all day long. If you've ever tried to hide sin, you know that there's something inside of you that just cries out to like get the truth out, to, to kind of let the light of God and the light of the day into the dark places of your heart. And then it says, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. There's a sense of wrongdoing. There's a sense of the conviction of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that kind of feels heavy on us when we're hiding sin, when we're keeping sin to ourselves rather than exposing the grace and mercy of God to it. And then he says, then I acknowledged my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And listen, here's the incredible promise for all of us. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. If you need some forgiveness, this is the formula. Don't hide it. Get it out. And here's the promises of God. He says, listen, there was a heaviness that was there, but actually there's a forgiveness that comes. As soon as I declare that I have sinned against God and I am begging of his mercy, he forgave me. Maybe you're looking for protection. Maybe you have some fear. Maybe you're looking for physical protection. You're just looking for some protection. Then maybe Psalm 91 verses 9 through 16 would speak to your situation. It says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him and I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's powerful stuff. That's hope-filled, peace-giving truth about God. Maybe you're just sad. Maybe there's just a sadness in your life. Listen to the words of Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Maybe you're just sad and you just need to say, yeah, there's something downcast in me. There's something sad going on. And so I'm just going to declare the goodness of God. I'm, I'm going to even answer my own question by saying, I will declare who God is and how good God is to me and what God thinks about me and let those things declare. I mean, and maybe you say, yeah, okay, all of these things sound great. I don't know how I would find these things. And I would just say to you, in our present culture, Google it, right? If you don't know, you can use the concordance in your Bible. You can use that part. And if you have a, a printed Bible, you can flip to the back and look up words. Look up joy. Look up happiness. Look up sorrow, if that's what you're feeling. Look up mourning or comfort. Look up the words that describe the situation. But if you don't have that, there are free online resources where you can look up the things that you're facing or the things that you're searching for. BibleGateway.com is a great Christian resource where the Bible in multiple translations, even Bible.com, which is connected to YouVersion, which is created by LifeChurch.tv in Oklahoma. They've created reading plans based around things that you might be facing in your life to give you hope. You can read through the Psalms. You can read different passages from Psalms related to specific situations that you may be facing. You say, okay, yeah, that's fine. But I mean... Forgiveness of sins, I'm forgiven. I don't have to pray for protection. I mean, I feel safe, I guess. I'm not really sad. So does the psalm say anything to me? Well, maybe. I would say yes. What if you're just facing some trouble in your business? What if business is bad? Or maybe what if you just look around you and other people are succeeding where you are failing? What might psalms say to you? Listen to this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous, according to Psalm 37. Now, all of these things, you know, they kind of come to and fro in... The, the things that you're facing. You know, I need protection or I'm seeking the salvation and the forgiveness of God or maybe I'm just sad or maybe things aren't going well. And, but what if things are great? You know, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we fall into this mindset that Scripture or God only has something to say to us when things are going bad. I think that's a dangerous way to approach God. I think God wants us to come to Him when things are great. So as we come into this November season, it's starting to feel like November, at least it is at my house, we come into this November season, I'm automatically thinking, turkey's coming, right? A couple weeks, I'm going to be eating pretty good. Thanksgiving is upon us. So what if I'm just looking for some lyrics? I'm just looking for some words. I'm just looking for some things to actually declare thanks to God. And maybe Psalm 107 is something that would speak to your situation when it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of 
their foe. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress and he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind for he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. These are just a few verses out of 150 chapters of the book of Psalms. It's a mixtape. Every possible human emotion is contained in the book of Psalms. If you love God with all of your heart, you can find Psalms that connect to that emotion. If you are so distraught and fearful of tomorrow, you can find Psalms that connect to that place of your heart. If you are in love with somebody and you don't know what you're supposed to do, you can find psalms to speak to that situation. If you just want to declare the goodness of God and give thanksgiving, there are psalms for those situations. If you just need to cry out to God because you don't know what to do, turn to Psalm 69. That says, I am stuck in the mire. The waters are rising and they're up to my chest and I'm about to be overcome by them and I don't know what to do. And then you hear this tone change when the psalmist says, but I will declare the goodness of God. His mercies are everlasting. He loves me with an unfailing love. Maybe in your heart, you're still just at that place where the waters are at your neck and you feel like they're about to overtake you and your feet are stuck and you don't know how you're going to get out. And maybe you just need to read that psalm to connect to that emotion and then be reminded that never once have you ever walked away. Never once will you leave us on our own like we sang about this morning. There's a psalm for every kind of human emotion that you may face. There's something there that connects to your heart and the emotions that you may face. And again, this morning has been something different than we normally do because you could even accuse me of proof texting, which I just talked about, where I just grab some scriptures that connect to your situation, except that the entire book of Psalms connects to every human emotion that we might encounter. There's an incredible free resource on Blue Letter Bible. You can search that, and they have a resource that tries to connect the context of the story happening in Scripture to the psalm that is written, who wrote it, and what year it was written. We're going to put that up on some of our social media sites this week, so you should see that beginning tomorrow. We'll just put that resource with a link up there if you want to go and see what those contexts were, how the situations that you're facing may be similar to some person in Scripture and what a psalm that they declared might say about God in that situation. It's a mixtape. It's the soundtrack of life. And so sometimes when we're in worship, you might hear Sean or one of the other worship leaders say something like, just sing your own song to God. You know, just just use your own words. Just open up your mouth. Open up your heart and declare something about God. And maybe you don't know what to say. I think almost every single time you could open up to the book of Psalms and find some psalm and just read it. Read about a people that were pursuing God and falling away and coming back, trying to live among people that didn't believe the same way that they believed. 
uncertain about the things that God might be trying to do in their future, trying to figure out how to get past their past. It's a mixtape. Here's what I know about God. God gave every one of us free will. We can debate the points of that argument all day long if you want to, but God has given to us the opportunity to pursue him, to follow him, to be in relationship with him if we choose to do so. But just like we sang about, he never leaves us on our own. So even in the midst of that, he has given to us a mixtape. He's given to us words that we can use to populate our prayers. And he's given to us the lyrics of the melodies of our life. So that if you're just trying to figure out what to pray and what to say, open God's word and find words to describe your situation. If you're trying to figure out what to sing and what to praise, you can open up God's word and find songs that meet you right where you're at in life. That's a God that loves you. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to kind of unpack these things. We're going to look at some love songs. We're actually going to look at some psalms in a couple weeks that are cursing psalms. Some things when you just want to let God know what you're thinking. You want to make sure he knows where you're at. He's okay with that. We're going to talk about that. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. As we conclude today, I just want us to pray a simple prayer. I would encourage you this week just to kind of open up the book of Psalms and just read through one or two. Read through a couple. See if there's not something that is written there that connects to your place of life, your stage of life, the circumstances that you're encountering. But as we pray right now, I just want us to thank God that he's given to us this incredible tool, this incredible resource to populate our prayers with words, to give lyrics to the melodies of our lives, Give us things to praise and to pray and to sing and to declare and to question and to wonder. And if you have a specific need, I just want you to use your own words to ask God to meet that need. God, I pray today for every person in this room. I pray, God, that they would realize and I would realize that you have given to us this incredible resource, the book of Psalms. That through these 150 chapters, the longest book in the Old Testament, the most often quoted book in the New Testament that you have given to us, prayers, songs, lyrics. God, that you have given to us the words, not just for us, but for us to use back to you. Words that describe our situations, words that connect to our emotions. And God, I pray that you would help us to use them as best we can to transition our heart away from our circumstances into your goodness and to your mercy and to your grace and to your love for us. I pray today, God, for every person in this room who, who has a need. They need you to show up. They are facing some of the emotions that we've described this morning or maybe there's something going on in their heart. And so God, today, I pray that you would take them to a passage of scripture this week. Maybe it's something that was quoted this morning. Maybe it's something that when they open their Bible, they're going to have one of those supernatural moments where you're just kind of screaming off the page at them out of a passage. Or maybe it's not going to happen like that. 
a friend is going to email them or text them with a verse. They're going to open their Bible and begin searching. And as they continue to search, they're going to find the answer that they need. God, no matter what you choose to use to meet that need and to encourage them, I pray that all of us today would leave knowing that you have never left us, you have never entrusted us to get everything done by ourselves. But God, you promise to walk with us every step of the way. You equip us to navigate every day of our lives. Help us to worship in response to everything that we encounter. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing with the band as they come back and lead us in this worship moment? Singing if our God.